0: You are listening to The Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of Richard Jewell. Let's get a new tape going. All right, Richard, here's what we're gonna do. We need a voice exemplar. I want you to say into this phone, there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Richard, you're a national hero now. Thank you, sir. But I was just doing my job. You always look at the guy who found the bomb just like you always look at the guy who found the body. Jewel fits the profile of the lone bomber. A frustrated white man who is a police wannabe who seeks to become a hero. We're running it. You're a suspect. You don't talk. I talk. Say it. I don't talk. This might be the only way to clear your name. I want you to say there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes trying to be their best friend. I was raised to respect authority. Authorities are looking to eat you alive. There's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. I'm sorry, what? His accusers are two of the most powerful forces in the world, the United States government and the media. I do want to help y'all on law enforcement, too. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes he do it richard jewell is an innocent man he's a hero there is a bomb in centennial park you have 30 minutes one more time it's a little louder i report the facts you've ruined this man's life there is a bomb in centennial park you have 30 minutes do a couple in a row
1: my son saved people's lives
0: There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. You set that bomb. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. I don't know how to protect you. I think like your client is guilty as hell. They want to fry you. You ready to start fighting back? All right, everyone. You were just listening to the trailer for Richard Jewell, and the story is as follows. American security guard Richard Jewell heroically saves thousands of lives from an exploding bomb at the 1996 Olympics, but is unjustly vilified by journalists and the press who falsely report that he was a terrorist. The film is starring Sam Rockwell, Kathy Bates, John Hamm, Olivia Wilde, and Paul Walter Hauser. It is directed by Clint Eastwood, written by Billy Ray. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Cody Derricks. Hello there. And Ryan C. Showers. Hi, everybody. Okay, so... It is December. We got very, very little warning. It must be a Clint Eastwood film. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this is uh, pretty wild because as we uh, have said on the main show in the weeks uh, leading up to this, I mean, we all kind of just found out about this project only a few months ago. It shot very quickly. It got put together really quickly. And here it is just in time for award season. Another true story from Clint highlighting you know, an aspect of America that he feels very, very strongly about. And this time around, starring a relative newcomer, Paul Walter Hauser, in his first leading role outside of being a comic side relief or just a small part of an ensemble. Uh, So that's pretty exciting. You know, you got some pedigree here with the cast, Sam Rockwell, Kathy Bates, Olivia Wilde, John Hamm. So there's a lot of elements at play here. Does it all come together, though, ultimately, in the end? Let's pass it off. To general thoughts first and foremost, and let's uh, start off the bat with uh, let's start off the bat with Ryan. Ryan, what are your general thoughts on Richard Jewell? Who?
1: Okay, well, I really respect Clint Eastwood. Um, he's created um, some of cinema's most indispensable films. Um, as for his recent films, I like Sully and I adore Changeling. Um, but the uh, but more of his recent films, uh, the way that they've leaned into certain issues he's lost me and you know i love film i love it so much i love it from a mechanical perspective and i love it from a narrative and social perspective and um to analyze the themes and throughout history and in the modern era and for me it richard joel fails in both areas um for instance uh, the one thing the film is getting a lot of credit uh, from critics on the basis of its competency and I don't really agree with that praise. I kind of found um, his the construction of this film to be lazy and sloppy. And um, you know, one of my favorite things that Eastwood does as a director overall is he uh, frames the actors um, favorably within his missing sin. And I didn't get a lot of that from him this time around. And overall, I felt the movie kind of enraged me while I was watching it Um, I thought it was pretty irresponsible um, to make this movie at this moment in time it's like Clint Eastwood watched um, the post and decided to have a rebuttal against Spielberg and this is his rebuttal and the film is just overall kind of anticlimactic for me um, in the story it's telling and it creates a heightened urgency that I don't think that it earns
0: yeah I I can totally understand what you're getting at there I Fully hear everything it is you're saying. We're going to get into specifics in that in just a little bit. I, I too, have had very, very frustrating uh, <laughs> experiences lately with uh, Clint Eastwood and his filmography. I really, really, really did not like the 1517 to Paris or the mule, and I was not as high on Sully as some other people were. American Sniper, not that high either. It was like just okay for me. Jersey Boys, blah. Let's keep going. Jay Edgar, blah hereafter very blah Invictus you know what's interesting because like Invictus to me is a blah movie with two good performances uh from Damon and um Morgan Freeman and we go to then Changeling Gran Torino and it's like Gran Torino it, like for me it's like Richard Jewell is a lot like Gran Torino in many ways for me I would say in terms of like how I'm gonna rank this movie In that um, there is a narrative here that I found to be quite compelling. There are a couple of storytelling issues, not so much in a filmmaking sense, but just more so in uh, the film's messaging that I don't agree with personally and definitely rub me the wrong way. I don't think it's like a dangerous film or anything like that, but uh, I can understand that there's an audience for this film. (laughs) <laughs> Which is funny to say because the film's not doing that great at the box office right now. Um, ironic. But I understand that there is an audience for um, the, the messages that Eastwood is telling through uh, the stories that he is depicting on screen lately. I get that. I'm not that audience, but I understand that there's an audience out there for it at least. So, yeah, uh, I, I I get what you're getting at here, Ryan. I, I I hear it. Let's let's pass it over to Cody. Cody, uh, what about you? What are the general thoughts here?
2: So, not to just yes and, but almost everything Ryan said, I explicitly agree with. Um, I I also kind of miss the days of Clint Eastwood being a really like his films were so tight and well structured, and every moment was you know leading to the next with equal import. I, 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 this is basic filmmaking, obviously, but. Something about this just the the famous one take and we're done style of direction that he, you know, has kind of made his trademark at this point in his career was really apparent in this one. You know, there was just a lot of sloppy filmmaking unfortunately, which seems like an underhanded thing to say, but I mean it it just was apparent. And this movie should be a tight taut political thriller, but it's just it's just not. And I, I agree that the, some of the messaging I had trouble with, but a lot of it I also was a little bit unsure what the film was even trying to say because it really seems to be asking people to just be responsible with their jobs, but it's imbalanced in who it puts the responsibility of this whole ordeal on. And it's also the film itself in a meta sense is kind of frankly irresponsible with the way it reports its own facts while it's screaming at characters in the movie for being not responsible with the facts. So I thought that was a little, a little ironic. Just a, a lot of it I found just very, again, sloppy, unfortunately. I, I will say the performances across the board are great. Pretty There's not a, not a weak member of the cast. Even Olivia Wilde, who's getting a lot of flack, um, both for her performance and for the um, portrayal of this character, I found her to be... <laughs> watchable and fun, frankly, which like maybe isn't necessarily what this movie should have in it as for a reporter character based on a real person, but she at least brought life to the scenes that she was in. So, yeah, I'm just kind of kind of at a loss of this movie, unfortunately.
0: Olivia Wilde's performance in this movie is a mood. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I think her first
2: word is fuck, which is, like, <laughs> a lot.
0: I don't know whether to blame her or to blame... Eastwood and maybe how he told her to play the role, you know, because he's the director and he's directing that performance at the end of the day. Right.
2: Well, the thing is, if we are going to, you know, go with the stories of Clint does one, maybe two takes and then he's done. If you're an actor, you're not going to have the full time that you would with the normal filmmaking process to maybe de- develop a character like you would normally so you kind of have to go with your first instincts which aren't always the best frankly but once you do them in a movie at the beginning of your shooting you are locked into that character so I mean I would love to know exactly how this was shot and what it was like behind the scenes for her but I imagine she probably kind of got stuck in this character based on what was on the page which is you know a screaming tyrannical perform uh, performance and that you know that's just the way it turned out.
0: And you know the thing that really annoys me the most of all about um, uh, her character in this—not uh, just what's going on, uh, obviously within the news and how it's all uh, part fabrication, uh, just to create dramatic conflict. Because there, there is definitely a, a moral dilemma with that. That is something that I, 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 think that when we talk about the messaging of this movie is de- highly problematic. But neither here nor there. For a second, the thing that annoyed me more so than all of that was that she was so cartoonish and so over the top and so painted to be like this, this, I don't borderline evil character. And I say borderline because she's not evil. And the movie asks us to have sympathy towards the end when she shows a bit of emotion, and I was like, "This is like the most unearned sympathy like I have ever seen in a movie in and recent it was time." Awkward. Yeah.
1: Like the that scene where she's um, in the press conference, like in in the back of the best conference, the press conference, and she's starting to show remorse. It just felt so awkward and out of the blue. And like I, I think the way that her character is used is uneven. Um, it was spatially throughout the screenplay and uh it sh- she just doesn't work on so many levels
0: but that's the thing i want to that's the thing i want to highlight there ryan actually when you say uneven I, and cody going back to what you were saying a little bit before too i think this movie really really desperately wants to have its cake and eat it too in terms of we want to present our viewpoint of the media and tie that in politically into what is going on uh, in our modern day society as well, even though this is a story that took place a couple years ago. Well, not a couple years ago. You know what I mean? Like in the past, 1996. Um, But they also want to earn our sympathy for these characters and telling this like human drama with this uh, lead uh, character, Richard Jewell, who is very endearing and is a kind-hearted, sweet guy. And it wants to have it both ways. And I don't think it achieves either one in the attempt to have have it both ways. Well, the way that
2: they portray the Richard Jewell character is it kind of he's kind of um, putty in the hands of the reporters and the FBI agents. And it paints him almost as kind of simple, unfortunately. Um, Paul Walterhauser does a great job you know, imbuing the character with a lot of humanity and pathos and, like, uh, earned naivete that is endearing. But the character on the page is very, unfortunately, the only times he has really specific... like standing up for himself agency are, uh, this isn't really a spoiler app in real life, I guess, you know, when he's standing up for himself finally at the very end of the movie and when he is insistent that he's not gay because there are homophobic, you know, like jokes and (sighs) accusations at him. And those are the only two moments in the entire movie seemingly where his character is allowed to be defiant or stand up for himself.
1: Well, and, you know, as a majority gay podcast, um, uh, people on on this podcast, um, I say, hey, thanks, Clint. Like, those jokes were just so, like, I it, it's not even worth, like, getting, like, um, angry about. It's just so annoying. Like, really? And the people I saw it with were just howling at them. Oh, I'm my like, audience
2: ate it up.
0: Oh, Remember, guys, like I said at the top, there's an audience out there for this movie. Yep, it's unfortunate. Yep. Yep, it is what it is.
2: It just ties into In a that regard. kind of just narrative they're trying to give this movie, it seems, right. and who they're specifically skewing it towards, which is unfortunate because I— Again, I also respect Clint Eastwood a lot. I mean, he's made fantastic movies. Even recently, I, I also really like Sully. So to see him kind of painting and playing in this world in this way is uh, is disappointing.
0: Mm-hmm. But I want to like highlight then the aspects that uh, I did like about this, which was, once again, going back to the performances and the characters that I didn't find to be as problematic and the performances I did find to be quite strong, actually. Uh, we mentioned Paul Walter Hauser. Um, I do think that he is very, very strong in this uh lead role as i said before it's his first time uh leading a, a role uh in a movie like this and i think he does a phenomenal job especially in his uh big blow-up scene that he has uh opposite sam rockwell um whether it was one take two takes how, however many takes it was that clint uh allowed for you know paul to get there on set i, I thought he nailed that big emotional beat and kathy bates has um, a big emotional beat as well during a press conference that I thought she did very well, and Sam Sam Rockwell is, you know, we love Sam Rockwell <laughs> despite yeah. how many different characters and how many problematic movies Sam Rockwell stars in. We can't help but love Sam Rockwell. I the really dude. liked him in this
2: movie. I will say, the dude I, I thought he steadfast. was good.
0: Like yeah. he's just great. Like
1: he was my favorite part of the, about this movie. Like anytime he was on screen. I was just—I was more invested. I—he I, sold the material more. He sold his character a lot better.
0: He's a character that like definitely takes command of the yeah. situation, command of the scene that he's a part of, a command of our attention. And what's really really great about that is that yeah, he's portrayed initially to be this you know bit of an asshole type, uh hotshot lawyer. But as the movie goes on, um, Sam does that. Very, very great thing that he's done in so many other movies before where he kind of drops that tough exterior and he shows that more vulnerable, softer side and reminds us once again why we love him as an actor.
1: And I think the lead performance is believable through and through, not, even not, not just in that big scene, the big blow up scene with Rockwell. I sure. found I found every single moment of his performance to be 100 percent genuine and authentic. And um, I, I, I really, I, I did enjoy Kathy Bates's um, big delivery at the press conference. I, she totally delivers on that material. Um, she didn't deliver much for me outside of that big scene. Uh, but what I take away from this is Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell.
0: Yeah. And you know, poor John Hamm. Uh, I, I, I feel like, you know, because there's not much there. Um, for what is there, you know, he does exactly what he's supposed to do, I suppose. Uh, but ultimately, I, I just never found that character to be compelling. I never found that performance to be really that compelling. Yeah, you know, he just he was kind of just there to me, you know,
1: you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of his character performance in the town, how how forgettable he was. and that yeah, me, like, everybody else was just so. Like, everyone in the town, like, you had Renner, you had Lively, Rebecca Hall, they all just had, like, leaps and bounds of, like, impressive um, moments. And then there's John Hamm, who just kind of fades into the, back, the background. Now, here, it's a little more, more problematic and um, naughty. Um, no pun intended. Uh, the, and so it, 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 there's less of a neutral aspect that I have with his work here. But yeah. I don't know what about John Hamm. He just—I feel like he can't get his footing in a good film role. Like he's
0: got—he's he really, got one really good scene where they are trying very, very hard to get uh, Paul Walter Hauser to sign his rights away. Ultimately. For uh, so that they can interrogate him or get a confession out of him, or however they want.
2: I, I liked him in that scene too because he's you know charming, <laughs> he's right? Really right to win over somebody, and that's what he's naturally good at as
0: an actor. So I liked him. And you scene. also like start to see his frustration start to come through when you know he's realizing, oh, he's on to me. He knows that I'm trying to like do something. You know, I got to go back into the other room and rethink my strategy for a second here. <laughs> um, I, I did like him in that scene a lot. But you know when he's doing this whole like, I think your client is guilty as hell. Like like this whole like routine. I'm just like, why are like the villainous characters and it's just so cartoonish? You know, um, I don't I don't really understand it. But then I guess that just goes back once again to uh, Clint Eastwood's viewpoint of these authority figures and of the media and so on and so forth. He I, he refused to see them as three dimensional human beings. I feel like
1: well not only just the media but I, I there's a specific like viewpoint of the movie that the movie has about um the fbi about law enforcement ac- in general about law enforcement in general about the government yeah also academics like the the whole the kickstarter of the whole richard joel controversy as the film frames it is um through the college and through an, uh, the academic setting and that mm, that is feels yeah. like you know i, I uh, the
2: uh, there's just yeah so it's just it's just very paranoid all around and i don't really know what we're supposed to get out of that other than yes your paranoia is justified if you already feel that way you
1: know I, he he's making this movie at a very specific time literally this week i mean like the things that are going on in the news right now it just seems so uh, on point with so much of the narrative being spewed out of the united states government
0: Right well, now. you know what that reminds me of a lot. It reminds me of a film from last year that I uh, could not get behind because of the timing of when I saw it as well. And that was the front runner. I remember when I saw that film. Um, coincidentally, there was a lot of stuff going on in the news. Um, I remember the day of my screening of that movie, and some people really, really liked it. I couldn't get on board with it because it just—it was one of those situations where the timing—it was hitting—it was hitting too close to home. Now. Granted, do I think that that feeling will stay with me forever? No. I think that there'll be a time where I'll be able to rewatch The Front Runner at some point and maybe just have a totally different um, feeling towards it. Maybe. Um, I think Richard Jewell, I, I, I recognize that there is an earnest like plea to just simply tell this story of this guy who was wrongfully accused, who was acquitted of everything and, you know, proven to be completely, um, innocent. And there is a human element to that, that they're trying to get at. And I, 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 I understand from that standpoint. Um, I, I do wonder then as a result over time, I don't know if I'll revisit this film over time, but You know, over time, uh, will we still feel the same way about it or will we just view it as a historical document of, oh, this happened and this is what happened to this guy and that's what it was?
2: I kind of wish it was more just this is what happens, just the facts, which I actually think the frontrunner, which I kind of liked that's what it did it painted everybody as on their worst behavior this really has a few points to it and it should be pretty cut and dry it should be kind of yeah you know it was irresponsible for parties involved to treat him this way but this movie specifically goes out of its way to slam and this is not a new point people have been talking about this for a while slam specifically media in general for not sticking to facts which like was would be admirable if that wasn't the only focus of the movie but the movie also makes it clear that the fbi who seemingly were just as at fault for accusing him in the first place the sam rockwell character has a line where he says these are just guys who work for the government this isn't the government so it really is kind of painting capital t capital m the media all of them as the bad guys but saying okay but the fbi you know there's just a few bad apples this is just not how the whole system operates so you can still have your trust in the government if you want. And that's a really just imbalanced portrayal of the story that actually happened.
0: And I'll just go one step further with this and I'll just say, uh, to, you know, just kind of solidify this point, is that I, I think the movie is also, like, indeed trying to paint a message, like I said, of, of the individual himself, of Richard Jewell. They, you know, do paint an image of him as somebody that would be able to do something like this based on. Um, so, for example, he's got like a ton of um, <laughs> weapons, right? Um, considering where he lives, he's well within his right to have, like, these weapons, uh, his constitutional right. But we may look at that, we may think, oh my god, he's a crazy person. You know what I mean? And I do think that there is a very simple message in the movie of not being too quick to just judge people, even if they have different viewpoints than you do or live a different lifestyle than you do and so on and so forth. And due to, to the lifestyle that he lives and due to the fact that he is a recluse, he's socially awkward, um, he has um, a, a history, if you will, whether that's based on... I, I, don't, I mean, when I say a history, I mean like that goes back to the school and everything like that. So they're, they're able to like paint this image of him. Um, but like I said, the movie goes to great lengths uh, through showing how kind he is and how willing to help people he is and how he helps his mother and how he gives Snickers to Sam Rockwell for no reason other than the fact that he's just a nice guy. Um, I, I do think that the movie is trying to get at some sort of a message there in terms of just let's just not be so quick to judge people that are different than us, I guess. I, I, well, don't, I, I,
2: just, I At my worst, yeah. most cynical reading of it, I can take it as far as White men have the right in this country to have all the trappings and behavior of a typical, for example, shooter or white terrorist, national terror, whatever. And that's okay. I, and that's that's just kind of an icky message for me. And they, they
0: really stress that. It's definitely icky, but it's also a reality.
1: Matt, like everything you just said, like – I kind of, like, just, like, the, the maybe this is part of why I just lost my patience with the film. Like, yeah. I just don't think that this story, the way that Clint Eastwood tells the story and his viewpoint with it, it's so operatic and so heightened and so intense. And it creates such an urgency about this story. And I don't think that this story merits that level of urgency um, that it, it, it gets in this movie and it made like when, in the ending like the last five minutes um, yeah when we were reverting back to certain things I just felt like it was a big waste of time and like in another oh story, I agree with
0: that, that yeah in, mm-hmm.
1: a, in a bigger story this would take up like a little 20 minute subplot in a bigger more epic earned story and that also frustrated me so like it just feels like a huge waste of time
2: well, because to people like Clint Eastwood, and this is maybe psychoanalyzing, and Billy Ray... Um when they look at the situation, this is probably the scariest type of thing that could happen to people like them, which is, you know, uh, and this is, you know, whatever. But for, you know, white men who have a several, certain level of agency and privilege in America, the scariest thing is to be falsely accused of being a terrorist, I suppose. So seeing this wasn't event, even charged. this is probably, sure. But this is, this is probably the scariest possible thing that can happen to them in, you know, in a well, world where things like this happen to lots of other people for other various reasons. And, I was thinking about this,
1: so I was thinking about another Clint Eastwood movie that was that's semi recent, Changeling. Okay, Christine Collins got locked up in that in, insane asylum. Like she, like, there was a, an actual consequence with that. With Richard Jewell and the, his story, it, he he wasn't even formally officially charged, and that like, it, it just uh, comparing thinking about Changeling versus Richard Jewell, and just si- thinking about Eastwood's evolution as a filmmaker. So it just made me feel so dispirited about about that evolution and the quality of this versus other films that does, that are more deserving of being told. It's like it, there's so much wrong with Richard Joel, and I don't think that it it earns its place. And I think that's why it's not connecting with audiences. I think the film was poorly marketed marketed to the right wing kind of niche that Clint Eastwood has built for himself outside of the American. Absolutely.
0: That's definitely who the movie's made for hundred percent,
1: but they, they aren't buying it because the, the film, I don't think the film earns like the epicness that it's trying, uh, it's selling.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that's a little tough to say only because of, um, you know, it didn't have a good opening weekend. I, I would, I would, I, I would hear your argument a bit more if it had a high opening weekend and it had a huge drop based on that but it's like i i I chalk it more back up to um timing uh lack of marketing and you know because and also too this doesn't really have in my opinion at least um the strongest of reviews compared to some of the competition that's out there right now so there there is no real urgency um, so what you guys are talking about in terms of the timing of this movie and so on and so forth, um, you know, it's definitely not the right time. And it's not the right time for that audience, you know, which is uh, quite quite hilarious, actually, when you think about it.
1: <laughs> so what can I ask, Matt? If if, if they yeah. weren't going to release Richard Jewell this past weekend, when, when would be a better time to release it to capture this audience? Because the films that beat it out at the box office were Jumanji, Frozen 2, and Knives Out. Knives Out has been out for weeks, and it's still came in ahead of Richard Jewell. Like, I don't understand if, I don't don't think it's about timing. I think it's about the quality of the film and the the piss-poor marketing.
2: I just don't think it has the zeitgeist appeal of something like American Sniper, which can really radicalize an audience and, you know, use word of mouth to build on a strong opening. This kind of is, you know, a semi-forgotten event in history that wasn't really doing its job in the marketing to make people either remember or see um, the importance of this story in a vacuum—it kind of just got put out there, and it was expected that people would just flock to Clint Eastwood.
0: I agree. I agree that the um, uh, the quote-unquote importance of this movie is one that is not directed at me personally. It's not directed at either one of you guys. It's not directed at a majority of people out there. Um, the audience that it is directed at, um, I, I, I Ryan, what I'm getting at in terms of the quality of the film. People don't know the quality of the film unless that they see it, mm-hmm. um, and the reviews were strong enough that um, you know his, you know the Eastwood's base or the people it's being marketed at should have gone out to see it. I think they're oh. not going out to see it because um, not because of the quality because they don't know the quality. they haven't, they haven't seen it. <laughs> it's more so of I, I I do think that the messaging of the movie is so niche. So niche, mm-hmm. and I think I think Cody just uh, said it perfectly with Sniper. Sniper, it was like appealing to the Call of Duty people out there. It was appealing to young people. You know, Bradley Cooper was a huge star from the Hangover films and stuff. So I, I think there was a little bit more of a mass appeal factor there. Instead, with this, um, uh, you know, and then and then of course, you know, there's the mule. But Eastwood himself is a star for older audiences uh, that come out to see his movies. No offense to Paul Walter Hauser but he you know not enough people I don't think know his name quite yet and Rockwell is definitely not a leading man you know well,
1: Kathy but don't underestimate like the name of like Kathy Bates among like older audiences like
2: Sure
0: you know, the about Sch- the about Schmidt fans come out. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but people who are
2: more excited about Kathy Bates are people like me who like actresses <laughs> and the, the, the Venn diagram of people who are interested in actresses and interested in this movie, you know, are is, is very, very slim.
0: Without dwelling on it too, too much here. I think that's the reason why, you know, people didn't really come out for it. Um, I think the quality aspect is one that's going to show itself over time anyway. Because, Ryan, what you're talking about in terms of, like, especially the bombing event itself and everything, when Eastwood did the whole, um, uh, third-person third, uh, third point of view perspective on Jewel with the shaky camera and everything. I was like, really? He went with that filmmaking trick? Right, that's his one moment of like big filmmaking in the entire movie, and it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I, I was definitely very underwhelmed uh, by what should have been like such a high point in the movie uh, in terms of the the scale of the set piece. I was really, really let down by that. I was more so enthralled by the interactions between the uh, characters themselves. And like I said, you know, anytime Olivia Wilde was on screen, it was just like, whoa, what is happening right now? <laughs> well,
2: speaking of the filmmaking, I mean, that's really was my, my biggest on-paper issue with the movie. I mean, there's just like a lot of just, I, I keep saying this, but it's the most applicable word, sloppiness to the filmmaking. There was, you know, really kind of goofy set decoration and like vague, non-specific blocking and mismatched editing cuts and music, not syncing up with the visuals. It was just a lot of that. Yeah.
1: And like some of the shots were like out of focus and I don't think he really created like great frames for the, the missing sin that it, it, it just, it was out of character for, for Eastwood, even in these later years of his, of his career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of bad filmmaking nothing's ever going to top 15 17 to Paris for me but (laughs) that was on a whole other level so Matt not to like spoil the ending of this podcast but
2: you have a much higher grade for it on Letterboxd than we do I kind of want to hear without like you know interrupting I would kind of want to hear like just the things
0: that uh, you identify with it more than we did yeah um yeah why not uh I will say this my grade has uh changed since that initial viewing um because I, I too, uh, when I sat with it a little bit more, I was like, you know, going over and over in my mind, uh, a couple other things that I, you know, I, I have this thing sometimes where I, I mean, like, I, I guess I, I sometimes empathize like so, so much, uh, either with people I'm seeing on screen or even just people I also talk to, uh, about a movie afterwards, um. I just take in all different points of view. And this is a movie that definitely has its fair share of problems at the end of the day. I try my best to put myself in the shoes of those who this movie is directed towards. And I try to see it from that perspective as best as I can, you know, to at least understand it. It really, really helps me just on, on a level to not be so closed off emotionally, intellectually, and I'm not saying that's what you guys are doing, I'm not saying that at all, but I want to be able to open myself up to people that I disagree with um, so that I can just better understand them and hopefully come to an understanding or a compromise or something like that. Um, And this is the kind of movie where it's like I fundamentally disagree with it, I'm definitely not uh, aligned with it personally, but there is a human element, like I said, to this guy who... Is wrongfully accused. What does that do to him? His, uh, you know, his life, um, the distress it puts his like his family through, and so on and so forth. And I don't know. There's just something about that that uh, I I did think about to myself and say, what if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, and something happened that was completely out of your control. And that is something that I I, I just connected to. I suppose you know. I don't. I, I'm not saying specifically this. You know, lack of privacy and all that. Like, I don't really care about that. <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't bother. I mean, listen, I'm online. Lack of privacy. Pfft, you know, that doesn't bother me. Uh, but, uh, you know, just the idea of wrong place, wrong time. Your whole life is completely changed over something that you couldn't possibly control. That was something that I found an emotional connection to there. That's fair.
2: <laughs> yep. No, I was just wondering. I just wanted to hear, you know, your case for
0: it, essentially. Yeah. It's not so much a case for it. It's just... You know, just that was that was my experience with it.
1: Well, can I answer like a a literal question you asked? Like you you, sure you you asked like, well, what would happen if uh, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Well, you know, well, what what I would do is I would listen to my lawyer whenever he says, hey, they're searching your house. Don't say a word. And whenever the lawyer steps away, I wouldn't go in and just blab.
0: You got to understand, though, this is not the most intellectually capable guy.
1: But I think that they like they take they take that. To like an extreme and almost, I would like they flattened him in a way like, I, he didn't feel as three dimensional like I I found some of the the choices frustrating in the way that they characterized him.
0: Yeah, and you know you got to ask yourself then too like how much of that is for uh you know to create uh, conflict on screen and drama and so on and so forth. Did it really happen like that? You know, so I I mean given the liberties they've taken with Olivia Wilde's character in this movie, I can. I can probably understand that some of it might be a stretch, <laughs> to say like, the least.
1: You know what? Actually, I was thinking as you the way that you like Matt listening to you describe Olivia Wilde's character in this is like uh, it, it's it's very entertaining. And I was thinking like she's something like that you would have gotten out of like Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey's Serenity. Like
0: it's that level of like. Yeah, like it's just so campy and just so I, I, I almost can't believe that the performance is real. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because, like I said, it's like so at odds with everything else in this movie. It doesn't feel like it (laughs) belongs in here. Right.
2: And because I didn't, you know, respond to the movie as a whole, therefore, the one thing that's really sticking out in it, Olivia Wilde's performance, it's going to be the thing that I gravitate
0: towards. (laughs) It's even the worst performance in a good movie or the best performance in a bad movie. Take it as you will. (laughs) Oh, man, that's fantastic. Um... My grade on it is uh, a very, very soft, I'm, I sw- like I'm really, I'm doing this just for the actors, a soft six uh, out of 10. That's, that's where I'm at on it. Uh, Ryan, where are you at on it? I'm a four. Okay. Cody? I'm also a four. We match. Okay. All right. Yeah. I've, so. I've seen
2: worse movies this year for sure. Yeah. Um, that's true. Either a combination of more incompetent or... Um, just
0: worse and more distasteful
2: overall. Um, but yeah, still a four.
0: Yeah. Uh, What do we think about it in terms of its Oscar potential right now? I mean, uh, it seems like it's Bates or Bust at this point.
2: Yeah, and after seeing it, I mean, I like Kathy Bates, but it was a- be her weakest nomination easily. And there's way more room for performances that I think would be more exciting as a nomination. It, there'd be less exciting and deserving nominations for sure if she got in, but I, I don't know. And, and at this point, the way the movie performed this weekend, the precursors it's gotten so far, I I don't see it happening.
1: I think that, like, it's, like, the way I think of, like, some of Eastwood's um, films, like, they gain Oscar traction because they do well at the box office and they have that mm. element of success to them, that and especially if the critics didn't really deliver deliver what they needed to transcend into uh, Oscars, I, I I think that the film performing badly, not even making five million in the first weekend, uh, I I think that's almost a death nail for Kathy Bates. I mean, I think there's still a world where she gets in, but I think her chances are uh, have decreased significantly. And especially because there are bigger films with that have best supporting actress contenders that are opening imminently. And, um, the buzz for those is just beginning and hers, her buzz seems to be in the middle, if not coming towards its end. Um, but I do have something I want to ask you guys. Yeah. Could we see a world where Sam Rockwell comes out of the blue and gets like a Michael Shannon, um, nocturnal animals type of nomination like just totally out of the blue for best supporting actor
2: i mean yeah supporting actor seems pretty locked in at this point we've kind of narrowed it down to seven men and i would really be a shock because there's not really a weak link in there there's not really an opening which there kind of was in 2016 um i mean at this point it would be his third nomination in as many years so when they like you they like you so i guess it wouldn't shock me
0: but I, i don't i
2: don't see it happening
0: I, I was shocked by his nomination last year for Vice, despite the fact it received a uh, Golden Globe and BAFTA uh, nominations preceding it. I just thought that was such an unworthy performance overall uh, to be in there. And I just was not like on board with it. So this year we were like joking, like, oh, watch Sam Rockwell get a nomination for JoJo Rabbit, <laughs> like, you know, like, because they just love him so much. But then he comes around with this performance in this movie and it's like, oh no, he's actually really good in this he deserves it yeah yeah like he's pretty damn good like and i would not be upset to see him uh back in there again necessarily i would start to feel like it's becoming overkill at this point um but do i see it happening that's the question i uh, let me put it this way if he gets a bafta nomination for this then I'll be I'll be on board. But predicting it out of the blue without any precursor uh, love, um I'm not going to go that far in this I, case. You know, this
2: movie didn't do well in America. It's gonna flop a Rooney in England. I don't I really don't see that happening. They are uh, not yeah. going to
1: touch this yeah. with a nine inch pole. like and you know, I think Kathy Bates really delivers in her big um her big scene. It's a it's the most Oscar-y type scene you could hope for. And I think – and she nails it.
0: I really, really wish that uh, she hadn't campaigned lead at SAG because if she had gotten in at SAG, I think we would be kind of I, – I think we'd all be aligned that she's probably getting in. But because she didn't get in at SAG, now there's like this big question mark with just a Globe nomination right now of, well, what do we think? You know. Well,
1: and plus, I feel like she is going to – as the film fades into the background – she's going to go with it um, because there isn't, she doesn't have this revved up machine behind her um, that she really would need in order to stick around through riding
0: the wave, if, if you will. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll get, I'll get on board with that. I, I don't even think there was a time where I was thinking this film could get maybe even like a sound editing nomination uh, based on how well done the, uh, the bombing scene was. Um, and it, to me it wasn't well done. So yeah, no, I, I can see a world where Richard Jewell it it just you know, it's like it doesn't even it doesn't really make a mark, you know. Yeah. Uh the the most unfortunate part about this though for me is I worry that Paul Walter Hauser, because he's the lead of the film, I, I worry he's gonna be blamed um for not being able to carry the movie box office wise for you know what I'm saying? That would be unfortunate because right? so much of it is him you know and he's really good in this and this was like really good. supposed to be like his opportunity if you will Um in terms of like I said like I don't I don't see him being a leading man in like a ton of other movies necessarily Um uh, but you know this this was a huge opportunity I feel like and I, I, I think that in the studio system people are always looking for people to blame right
2: yeah I think people can keep returning though to his re- really stellar scene stealing work in I, Tonya, um and also Black Landsman, and I think he'll be
0: just fine using that as
2: a calling card and this He has
0: Cruella coming up too, where nope. he'll probably pay another uh, bubbling, you know, uh comic relief character. So And
2: for people who see it, they're gonna come out of it saying, you know, he's one of the good things about it. So I don't I don't really too much about him as long as people with power see the movie or <laughs> the power to,
0: you know, cast and make movies. But uh yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Cool beans. Uh anything else before we go? No, yeah, I'm good. Uh, my last note that I have written down here I want to make sure that I uh, said this at some point Largest on-screen Macarena I've ever seen
2: Oh my god, it gets a fucking crane shot I could not believe what I was saying <laughs> <laughs> Out of sync with the music Of course, obviously
0: I didn't know when I was going to find a moment to work that into the review And I had it written down here in my notes And I just wanted to make sure I had a chance to say it And Olivia Wilde goes, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> So that was a hard <laughs> I need someone to just take um, all the clips of Olivia Wilde in this movie and just uh, make some sort of a montage on YouTube
1: <laughs> again. I think that they should like cross cut it with serenity. I think that would be hysterical.
0: <laughs> all right, guys. Oh, boy.
2: Ryan, where can I find you on the Internet?
1: You can find me at RCS
2: 818 on Twitter. Cody. I'm everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox. i CodyMonster91, and give my horror movie podcast a listen. We're Halloweeners. You can find us at HalloweenersPod.
0: And I'm at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the next Best Picture Podcast review of Richard Jewell. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, PlayerFM, cast CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.